Our church lives passionately to invite others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, one conversation at a time. We say that, we live it, it's a part of who we are as a congregation, it's a part of who we are as an influencer in our community. Sometimes it can get difficult, and sometimes it can feel fruitless, If we look at the parable, that story that is a different perspective on living in life, in Luke chapter eight, we learn that sometimes the reason it's difficult and sometimes the reason we get a little discouraged is because even Jesus said, having those conversations, making those invitations, if you look at it just statistically, only works one out of four times. Not because of the person having the conversation, not because of the nature of the message, the the hope that's found in Jesus and found in scripture, but because people's lives are lived like different types of soil. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're gonna look at that story where Jesus helps us understand what our hearts are like and the receptivity of whether or not our hearts are ready to receive God's word, God's message, what we call the gospel, because that's the New Testament term, it just simply means the good news, that message found in Jesus. Because of the different soils, there's all types of methods that are a part of having that conversation. Let me share a couple of incidences where I learned the impact of a church that's willing to invite others into a life-changing relationship. I had a vehicle broken into, and if you've ever gone through that experience, you are immediately in relationship with first responders that we've prayed for this morning. Everything was taking place at the scene, got all that done, but I had to bring in different pieces of information, serial numbers and different things on different things that were in the truck, and and I came to the substation to turn all of that information in, and while I'm turning the information in, most of our church knows I don't really brag a whole lot about being pastor of the church, not because I'm embarrassed by you, but because the conversation shifts as soon as somebody finds out I'm a pastor, so I hadn't said anything, I'm just giving the officer the information, this is the serial number, this is the make, this is what was stolen, this is what's missing, on and on and on, just going through that process. When they finally came to a question in the process about phone numbers and place of employment where they might be able to reach me, of course I had to say I was a pastor. I prepared for the, oh, I'm sorry, I've been cussing the whole time we've been talking. Um, I was prepared for that typical response when the officer looks up at me and she goes, oh my gosh, you're the pastor? So, well, some probably think that's Joel Osteen or Ed Young, but I, I, I am a pastor. And she goes, no, no, you're the pastor of the church. I said, well, yeah. I'm like totally clueless. I don't know what's going on here. She says, you got to come with me. And I'm like, we're going to the back where the cells are? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, this was about 15 years ago today. I'm not so sure, but about 15 years ago, you were still okay. You weren't going to be arrested for sharing the gospel at that point. Um, But I walked back there and she ended up taking me back into the break room and on the entire wall of the break room were all these pictures. And I'm still kind of confused. They're little kid pictures, you know, just littler than you guys. I mean, just, you know, little drawings and etches and different things like that. I'm like, what is going on? She goes, your church gave us these. 
I didn't have any idea, but our children's ministry had, had taken and drawn pictures and said thank you and had delivered them to the substation. And the, the officers were so touched by it and so encouraging by it they, that they had put them all over their break room. They had covered all the pinups and everything else with pictures from our kids at church. That's inviting others into a life-changing relationship one conversation at a time. Another time we were doing some building, this is over our recreation area, our planned um, development of the new church out on 249, and I was over at Public Works. I was having a meeting with a bunch of city engineers and people, and as we sat down for the meeting, one of them looked at me and she said, said, Pastor Clark, would you like to have some cookies? And I'm like, yes, but I'm supposed to, this has been a lifelong journey of trying to avoid food that's excellent. Um, And I'm going back and forth, and then, she goes, well, these are from your church. I said, what do you mean they're from my church? And, and she said, bunch of ladies in your church. They do this like every two to three weeks. They, they bake a bunch of cookies and they bring them here. I'm thinking, what a great way. I wanted to look at the engineer and ask her, does that mean you're gonna sign off on my blueprints this morning? <laughs> I thought, man, I was so proud of our ladies groups. It was some of our ladies Bible study groups. I was so proud of that bribing city work, public works. This is, this is great. But it wasn't. They just left notes and cards with the cookies saying, we appreciate you, we're thankful for you. And of course, we've done this through Touching Tomball for years. We, we do it. There's about, I think, seven different groups that we cycle through. Tamagua, which is a medical ministry team, which we all of us help in different ways for providing food and assistance for people. We go to public works. We go to the fire department. We go to, to EMS. We go to the police station. And, and we just want them to know that they're important and that we appreciate them and that we're thankful. Now, I'm going to be honest. COVID was kind of like getting four flat tires at one time. And so it's taken us a while to get all the tires changed, but we're getting there. And some of this may have to be re-kicked back up and reinstituted. But it is the opportunity, not just to simply say we appreciate you, but the opportunity to say, God cares about you. I want to invite you into a life-changing relationship with Jesus, one conversation at a time. And every single one of us does that and can do that. One of our members came up to me just prior to the service today and was telling me they were, they were at IHOP this week and they were eating breakfast, her and her husband, and as they were eating breakfast, they got talking, engaging with the waiter, and as they talked to him, he started talking to them about this great paper he had read about reincarnation. The Bible does not teach reincarnation. We can give you a deeper explanation some other time. But they had this engagement conversation differentiating between reincarnation, which is about the most hopeless philosophy that you can believe in. I mean, after all, who really wants to come back? I mean, I'm not real happy with the vehicle I got this time. But I sure don't want to be a butterfly next time. Actually, I'd probably be lowering the scale, huh, Randy? Like a flea or something like that. You know, I don't want to come back and do this over again. Reincarnation says you just keep practicing and maybe it'll work out someday. Resurrection says, look, Jesus took care of everything. You're going to be completely alive in a perfect body, in a perfect heaven. Why would you pick coming back instead of going to heaven? But one of our members, just having breakfast this week, had that conversation. And in those conversations, whether we're good at it or not, We can help people see and understand the hope that is in Christ. But 
sometimes it just feels like it doesn't work. And that's what Jesus shares. And I'm just gonna walk through this pretty quickly. It's actually pretty simple. But more than anything, I want us to be encouraged and to remember that what we do makes a difference and it makes an eternal difference. In Luke chapter eight, it covers like the whole middle section of that. So you can begin even as early as verse one. Um, you can go through verse four. The, the parable itself starts in verse five. The parable is explained by Jesus in verse 12. You can look at all of that. You can go to your version app. You can pull up in your Bible right now. Um, and we can actually look at these words. But Jesus describes four types of soil in which that conversation, that message of hope, can take root. The setting is simple. A large crowd has gathered and they're wanting to listen to Jesus. Matthew says that Jesus came out of a house. He's in an agricultural area outside of the cities and he was sitting by the sea when the crowd began to develop and began to grow. And as a result, he couldn't speak. He couldn't teach because the crowd was pressing against the edge of the water. And so Jesus steps into a boat and sits down and moves just a little bit offshore and begins to speak. As he's sharing this parable, as he's sharing this story, they're probably surrounded by fields very similar to the one Jesus is gonna describe. And so in a sense, in your mind, try to move back to that place. It's an arid region, it's a desert region. The the fields are small plots, typically of wheat. They are surrounded on all four sides by pathways that have been beaten hard between the the sowers and the harvesters as well as people traversing through that area. So these little pathways, there's not fences or regulated areas like our fields today. They're just open in these open areas and of course it's desert, it's arid, it's rocky, the soil's difficult and Jesus chooses that as his illustration. This is significant. Jesus says in verse 11, that the seed, that the sower, the farmer is going to broadcast, that seed is the word of God. It is any time we share God's word, it is any time we share that expression, the word of God, will be further explained later in the New Testament when it becomes the gospel, the good news, the hope that is found in Jesus, that simple truth that we are sinners that that sin has separated us from God, but Jesus has come to rescue us from that sin in order that we may live and be with him, not only now, but forever in eternity. That's the word of God. That's the gospel. That's the conversation that is our goal when we invite people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So we can assume in this case, because the only thing that changes is the nature of the ground There's nothing wrong with the sower. There's nothing wrong with the farmer. This is not criticism on the farmer because some of it doesn't grow. This is a recognition that different soils are going to produce different results. And because it's the word of God and because Jesus clearly says that in verse 11, we don't have to worry about the message The message is right and the message works. Isaiah prophesied 600 years before Christ was on earth that God's word would go out and that it would never return void. God's word is a powerful change agent every time we share it. So if there's nothing wrong with the sower and if there's nothing wrong with the seed, then the only factor that changes is the soil. 
And we don't have a whole lot of choice about that. In this particular case, the farmers did everything by hand. They prepared the land by hand. They would throw out the seeds in a very calculated method of just scattering it. And they didn't always have control over exactly where it was gonna go. And that's when Jesus begins his story. He says in verse five that a sower, a farmer, went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path and was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. So picture in your mind that little dirt path that is between the different fields, and some of that seed goes out on that little dirt path. It has been walked on so much, it has been baked in the sun, it's, it's been, been dried out, uh, it's solid, it's hard. It would be similar to our concrete or asphalt today. And as the farmer is throwing out the seed, as he's inviting others into a life-changing relationship, some of it comes on ground that is impervious and it creates vulnerability. The seed's there, it's laying on the ground. But even if there was moisture, even if there was rain, the ground is so hard that the seed can't penetrate that impervious hardness. And as a result, can't even begin, can't even germinate, can't even begin to take place before the birds come, Jesus says, and begin to take away all that seed. Now, Jesus makes the explanation in verse 12. That's why you have to go back and forth between that now verse five and verse 12 in a minute, verse six and verse 13. Jesus describes this scenario in this way. The seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. We don't have a whole lot of control over that. But notice it doesn't keep us from trying. The farmer's still working. The farmer's still sowing because he believes in the word of God. He believes in the seed. He believes it has the potential for harvest. Even though some of the train is so difficult and so hard, it won't penetrate. That happens to every single one of us. And the truth is, it's a challenge for us today because every incremental step we make away from the gospel and away from the word of God and away from the, the morals that have been acceptable and founded upon teachings of scripture. Every little incremental move we make hardens the heart and makes it susceptible and vulnerable to Satan taking away the word before it can even take root. That's one of the reasons, honestly, we are so active. That's why we're in constant conversation with our legislators, with our leaders, city, county, state, federal. Because if we let the environment become so hard that the gospel can't take root, we begin to lose generations. And we've already lost generations. But here's what I want you to hear this morning, as horrific as that is, as hard as it is to imagine that Satan swipes the message, the hope, before it ever takes root. We can't give up. It's hard work. Farming's a hard work. It's out in the heat, it's physically taxing, it's emotionally taxing. You're waiting on elements that are outside of your control, but you never give up. Like Jason Aldean says, you just keep praying, your crops and children will grow. We just keep praying that the gospel goes and impacts and touch 
It may be hard and we may be living in an increasing, maybe we are living in an increasingly difficult time where the ground is increasingly hard, where it is increasingly impervious to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to the word of God. But we don't use that as an excuse to say, I just can't do it. I'm not gonna invite. That person looks so different from me. That person looks like they don't wanna hear anything that I have to say. That person doesn't want to be invited. When the reality is we all know deep in our hearts, most people want to be invited into something that's life-changing. Most people are desperately searching for it. We keep sowing. Even though in this case, there's no result. The next one's in verse six. This is an underdevelopment of the soil. Other seed, Jesus says, falls on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. That particular region that Jesus is in is typical of very gravelly, very rocky, and sheets of rock, limestone soil. And so it's not just simply that the farmer was lazy and didn't pull the stones out of the soil. It says that oftentimes that soil was covered by dust and and dirt that had filled in. And so you might have a complete bedrock underneath the soil. And it could be as much as a foot or two feet underneath. And so the farmer's very manual, handheld plow back then didn't go that deep. The farmer could not even, might not even be aware that there's rock underneath. But Jesus describes this, this moment as the seeds on the rock and those whose hearts are like rock, they hear, they receive the word in verse 13, they receive the word with joy, but having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. Because it germinates and the roots are there, but because the soil is so thin, it grows quickly. It looks great. That's why when you go to a nursery and you buy a plant, it looks awesome because it has been intentionally root bound in that little tiny pot, but it will die in just a matter of weeks if it's not released and given ground from which to get nurture and moisture from. That's what's happening in this case. I can tell you as a pastor, but probably most of you as well, as Bible study leaders, as, as friends who have tried to share, as you've gone to school and you've talked about sharing your faith and you've talked to friends, sometimes people believe it. And they are happy and they are excited. And it sprouts up and it looks great. But in a short period of time, it withers. That's why it's so essential for, for us to help nurture that's why we pray for, for Jesslyn. That's why we pray for Josh. We want to stand with their parents and we, we want to stand with them and help nurture and make sure it gets all the moisture, make sure the maturity begins to take place. But if, again, if it doesn't and you've been burned, just like I've been burned repeatedly by somebody that accepted Jesus and got so excited, but then in a matter of time, everything just faded away. They, they talked to you so excited after a Sunday service and said they were gonna be back and you never saw them again. Don't give up and, and don't take it as a personal offense. How many people throughout my lifetime asked me if I knew Jesus? How many people confronted me in my lifetime over and over again? Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you understand that God loves you? And I looked at them and I gave them superficial answers to get them off my back. 
But on the night I finally said yes to Jesus, it flashed back in my mind like looking at my life in reverse in some fashion or another and recounting all the people who had prayed and had said something. There wasn't enough depth in the heart to take heed. And I had to again cautiously prepare. I remember my pastor, I remember asking him about being baptized and he did the same thing that we had come down front and he said yes and did the paperwork and everything to set up baptism and, and did all of that. And then I remember he looked at me and I didn't understand this because I'd never been in church. He said, he said, Satan, I didn't even know Satan at that point other than on the albums of some of my records. And um, Satan's gonna do everything he can to keep you from showing up next week for your baptism. I didn't know Satan I didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't understand any of it, but it scared the bejesus out of me. I was like, oh my gosh, seriously? Who is this guy that doesn't want me to get baptized? Trust me, decades later, I understand exactly who that guy is and I understand exactly what my pastor was trying to tell me. Satan wants to do everything he can to come on hard hearts and steal the seal away or let it germinate for a moment and then beat it down with the sun, with the cares and the, the worries of this world. And let that joy dissipate and disappear because there's no root. That's what we're here for. We walk with you. That's why anytime you make the decision to trust Jesus, you really need to talk to somebody. Let, it, let your friend know. Let your family know. Let, let, your pa- let one of the pastors know. Let your Bible study teacher. Let somebody know so it can be protected and nurtured. The third one's very similar. In verse seven, other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Verse 14 is Jesus' explanation. And all of us have probably been here at some point. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no fruit. How many of us have watched somebody make the decision to trust in Jesus and they continue that decision. They don't wither in the shallow soil, but they never amount to anything. They never move into leadership. They never move into service. They never grow. They're doing the same kind of baby-like thing they've done all along because every attempt at growth, we let the secular world, the non-Christian world, the the foolish world of anti-God choke us, strangle us. Man, I hate weeds. I hate them with a passion. I'm one of those guys, I intentionally pull the weeds out of my gardens and I intentionally lay them in the front yard because I want to watch them wither and dry up, blow into my neighbor's yard. I'm gonna tell you as, a, as your pastor, I hate weeds spiritually just as much. How many times have I seen a guy get excited? Yes, I'm gonna follow Jesus. He makes that decision. He holds to that decision. But whatever it might be in his life, the things at work, the pleasures he enjoys, just come back in and just get a stranglehold on him and he never grows. I'm so frustrated with it. But I'm not gonna give up. And the reason for not giving up is simple. Up until now, it's a pretty bleak story. But in verse eight, Jesus says, still, other seed fell down on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit 
a hundred times what was sown. Jesus' explanation in verse 15 says, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. Because the Christian life is supposed to produce fruit that benefits the people in our lives and the people we come in contact with. These are the ones that when the seed is cast, it is received, it is believed, it is nurtured, and it grows, and now they are new sowers. And they're casting new seed. Just from a simple statistical standpoint, a hundredfold or a hundred times is more grain than the sower ever would have expected. It's simple. We try to make things so complicated sometimes. It's just simple. When God does something, it is always beyond our imagination and beyond our expectation. You may only have one of these experiences in your life where you sow the seed, where you tell somebody about Jesus and they accept Jesus and they go on to potentially even exceed you in your faith. But I'm here to tell you, if you have only one in your life, it was worth every other failure. Because the failure was never yours. In this passage of scripture, there's nothing wrong with the sower and there's nothing wrong with the seed. It is the heart upon which it lands. And we don't have a whole lot of control over that if we have any control. We try to make our environments susceptible to that. But everybody in this room has an idea, and even if somebody doesn't know Christ, you know as a result of this service, and you probably had an inclination already, and it's just a matter of you stopping and saying, okay, God, I'm willing to let you take control. I'm willing to let you have it. But tomorrow, you're gonna be back at school, and nothing in that environment's conducive to inviting others to a life-changing relationship. But you can do it. We believe in you. Tomorrow, you're gonna be back at work, and probably, potentially, nothing in that environment is going to be conducive to inviting others into a life-changing relationship. But you're going to have that conversation. I find that some of the best decisions ever made for believing and trusting in Jesus are made with colleagues because they see us day in and day out and not always at our best. So we keep sowing, we keep farming, we keep sharing, we keep inviting Some will go home this afternoon to houses and homes and families that are not open to the gospel and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard, but don't give up because eternity hangs in the balance. That hundredfold blessing of the crop that flourishes is all of us being in heaven together. Perfect, healed comforted and happy and blessed. Keep inviting. No matter how hard the soil may seem and no matter how many times we've been frustrated by the soil, keep giving, keep inviting, keep sharing and never give up. Let's pause for a moment. Band's gonna come back. We're gonna close out in worship. We're over time today. I apologize for that. But I just want us to take a moment I I believe, because this is what happens to me in moments like this, just about every one of us has somebody in mind and we're thinking about that person. If I could just tell them one more time, if I could just convince them, we're thinking about that. 
Well, the only one who can break up the soil is the Holy Spirit. And so let's just pause for a moment quietly. Pray for that one person. And pray right now that God, through his power, will soften their heart. Let the seed take root. And let it grow and mature.